So you've got a podcast or an idea for a podcast or no ideas yet, but you want to start a podcast. Whatever stage you're at, G Media Solutions is here to help you take your podcast to the next level. We are a podcast production company based in Atlanta that specializes in audio recording, video live streaming, and all the elements you need to make your podcast thrive. To fulfill your podcast needs, contact us on Facebook and or Instagram at G Media ATL. Before the start of this episode, I wanted to tell you about another podcast that I am producing for my friend Aisha. It's called the Botanica Podcast. I wonder what she thinks of that pronunciation. But anyway, <laughs> uh, here's a trailer for the podcast. You can subscribe to it uh, anywhere you get your podcast, just like ours. Here it is. Welcome to the Botanica Podcast. This is your host, Aisha. Listen in as we discuss topics like love, health, sex, relationships, and even alternative medicine. We stream live every Sunday at 8 on Facebook. Listen to the Botanica Podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to stop by our Botanica every Sunday. We have a lot to share. By the time you hear this podcast, you'll be a man. Now, when I was a little boy, at the age of five, I had something in my pocket. Keep a lot of folks alive. Me 21 And you got to know me We can have a lot of fun I'm a man I spell M Welcome to By the Time You Hear This Podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And we're back with episode 195, I think. I know we're not at 200 yet, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you for everyone who's uh, listened so far, um, downloaded, streamed. However, you've gotten to know our podcast. We appreciate it. Uh, again, apologies to the guests we were going to have. Um 
we'll, 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 we'll make good on that hopefully soon. So, um, yes. Uh, so, um, well, let's go ahead and get into it, man. Let's get into some music news. Um, so even as he passed away, people were still finding out that Bobby Caldwell is white. <laughs> um, so uh, Bobby Caldwell, the singer, uh, songwriter, um, who uh, I guess a, a pioneer of the blue-eyed soul subgenre, yeah, uh, passed away last week, the age of eighty-one. Um, for those who know the song um, "Open Your Eyes," what you won't do for love, um, uh, "My Flame," which was famously sampled by Notorious B.I.G. Yeah, sky's um, the limit. Yeah, for sky's the limit. Um, what was another song that I know of? Uh, Heart of Mine, You Belong to Me. And he had the famous album covers where it was just the silhouette of a man in a hat. They didn't want people to know. Um, I believe the, the record label he was with sent, uh, sent his, his, uh, his songs to the R&B stations. And uh, they're like, well, no one's going to believe that a white man's singing this song. <laughs> so they took a picture of him sitting on a bench and uh, made it a silhouette. <laughs> and the man in the hat was born. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, rest in peace to him. Any any other anything else you'd like to add about that, Ben? No, I mean, everything that needs to be said, I think you've said. Great talent lost. Um, I wonder, I do wonder if this will happen with Michael McDonald. I feel like enough people have seen him. Yeah, to, they should know to, what he looks to, like. Yeah, they should know <laughs> what he looks like. But um, I thought it was interesting that people were still finding out that Bobby Caldwell was white. But then again, I know that we dive deeper into this stuff than some other than most people do. So... This wasn't a mystery for us, but great talent lost. Um, what you want to do for love is probably one of my favorites, especially the sample that um, that was used in a Tupac song, "Do for Love." It's just a great sample. Yeah. Um, so, um, this is Ed. Rest in peace to him. Uh, what else do we have here? So, uh, I wanted to ask you about this um, in one of my other endeavors watching a pregame of the uh the grizzlies played the mavericks as of this recording it was last night's game and i got to see a little bit of the pregame and it was in memphis and they have a like a little pregame concert okay i don't know if it's before every game but it was before this game and it was this cover band <laughs> doing all just a bunch of 80s and 90s r&b nice. uh well and then some current because they mixed in like some bruno mars they did like finesse and then it transitioned to um poison i think as and, in like by bill uh, bill Bib Bib okay. devoe okay um if you can hear the audio here i i uh record a little bit of it um let's see That's why it's hard for me to find. 
that was the end of the concert. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they they had done finesse right before that, and they had been doing like you know big, a lot of eighties um, and R. I think they did a guy song. Okay. Um, and I think they did a. It was either Janet Jackson or Michael. I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember the whole the whole concert, but um, yeah. So I guess I, I um, I guess since it's, what are the I know that there are limits for a cover band, like what songs that you would like your audience, I guess. Yeah. But should there be limits on like the style of music you should be doing? Like I don't know if if. I don't. I mean, it works for them. They got. They were performing before a Grizzlies game. So, <laughs> I mean, not to so say that they, they blew up, but it, clearly, a, this is a, this is a local cover band that probably works a lot. Is, so, is it? Are you thinking it's odd to see a, a cover band playing R and B music? Um, uh, in this type of venue, I mean, I guess with like doing a medley of songs like they were doing, like they played mm-hmm. for like thirty minutes straight, and. There are probably some songs that maybe you probably shouldn't have done that song since there are kids around. Oh, um, <laughs> I guess uh, since you you've been in these types of bands, like mm-hmm. what are what are the limits that you see as far as doing that? Uh, you are limited by so I think you are limited by your audience. Um, you have to know your audience, um, and I think that's one thing. Um, that all cover bands don't understand. You have to understand that you're not like you have the cover bands that are, that want to play music because it's songs that they like that they want to hear. And you can't really do that. You got to be willing to play songs that people will want to get down to whether like, if you're at a place where there's a lot of young people that want to dance, if you're at a place where it's a lot of people that are drinking, you gotta, you gotta play, you know, what what they're going to want to hear. So you don't go into a biker bar and play finesse. You know, you, you better go into that biker bar and play some, like, maybe some George Thorogood. I'm being very stereotypical here. Play some <laughs> George Thorogood. <laughs> play some um, Steppenwolf. For good measure, I'm kidding. But, no, like, you want to play some some rock music, some classic rock music. Anything that you play new better sound like it's old. Um, you know, if you're going to be at pa- Apache Cafe, play something jazzy. Play some Neo Soul. Um but the only the only I would say to answer that question, though, the only limits really are like don't play stuff that um, regardless of where you are, like don't play deep cuts like that doesn't make sense. Like everyone's not going to know the deep cuts, play stuff that was on the radio, play stuff that's going to get people up and dancing or drinking and tipping the bartender. All right. Um, that's just something that interested me. I, I hope y'all took notes on that. I don't see myself so, being a cover band. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll speak even further, and you know, shout out to my fellow um, former Sunset Love Affair brethren. We played at a Braves game once, so we were in a situation like this, playing at Turner Field um, before a game, and it's like you know, you try to play things that are crowd friendly. So, like to your point, playing songs that you know, hey, there are kids around. Maybe we don't want to play this. <laughs> Like, yeah, if you're playing a festival or something that's like all ages or if you're playing, you know, something like before a sporting event. Yeah, you do want to kind of keep it PG rated. The venue booker should tell you that, too. Like, hey, like, you know, they they should set the tone Um, at bars, though. It's all bets are off. It's like it's a bar. We're in here drinking. Some of you are smoking, probably cursing. 
Some of you are trying to get laid. Like we <laughs> we can play and do and say whatever we want, really. Um, yeah, except for that one bar that we played. <laughs> we played a bar in Panama City where he didn't he didn't like to curse because it it doubled as a church on Sunday. I'm not kidding. <laughs> a bar that doubled as a church. Shout out to Sharkies down in Panama City Beach. Yeah. Alrighty. We went there. We played a weekend there. Normally they book us for a three day week, three night weekends. So we play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday if it was like a holiday weekend. And uh, Kevin, who's been on one with us before, had to go get something from the stage. And he walks in and he's like, it's a bunch of people there with Bibles. <laughs> it's just like, and then 10 feet away, it's just like, you know, balls of liquor. <laughs> 10 feet away. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so uh well um and i guess that's something to also look out for that you could be playing anywhere yep yep yeah always ask, that's why i started to learn always ask the question you know <laughs> um so uh another thing i wanted to ask you about um i think last year might have been a couple of years ago um there was a concert with Nas performing Illmatic mm -hmm. with an orchestra. And I just, and there have been, I think a few shows like that um, where an orchestra is performing hip hop. And uh, I just saw an ad on Facebook today. I don't know if the show's already happened, but a show for um, an orchestra in Atlanta performing Dr. Dre's 2001. Mm, okay okay my question is what what's the audience for that <laughs> honestly for that for album like that? millennials <laughs> millennials of all shapes and sizes um i cannot tell you how many views i've seen scott storch get for just playing the intro to still dre <laughs> or really anybody who finds a way to do it comically and go into it um, yeah, that's millennials. CSA Punch. I think you've seen her videos before. Yeah. Yeah. Her. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, I'm glad that hip hop is finally getting on that train. Um, you know, we've seen, uh, the farthest back I can remember seeing it from a popular music. Cause you've always had, of course you have each city has like their pops, like the Boston pops, so forth and so on that play more mainstream music that people know to get people in the door, sell tickets. Um, I can't remember if it happened before. I want to think maybe the Scorpions did it, but like, I think it blew up when Metallica did it. You know, Metallica S and M, they played yeah, with Michael, Michael Kamen, Kamen. Mm -hmm. and the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, put it out on a, a double DVD. They put out an album. They wrote a song for it, um, and it it blew up. That was like what early two thousands, I believe. Yeah, I know. I had the DVD. It's like one of the first DVDs I got when I got my PlayStation Two. That's how long ago know. this was. Um, and then 1999. Could, holy crap. Okay. So after that, you started seeing other bands do it with their local orchestras. I know at one point, Collective Soul, who's an Atlanta band, did it. And then um, you started seeing hip hop artists do it. Like I think Rick Ross did it. Um, I think, as a matter of fact, is either Rick Ross or Jeezy that did it with Orchestra Noir. Are you familiar with them? No. So Orchestra Noir is like an is an all black symphony orchestra i think they're based out of atlanta i know kendra one of her friends went to go see them perform and um you know they'll do they're all classically trained so they'll do like you know classical pieces as well 
but I believe they partnered with, I can't remember if it's Rick Ross or Jeezy, to do this, this kind of performance. And then, of course, one of them did a concert with the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. And now you said um, they're doing Dr. Dre's 2001. So, I mean, it's one of those things where the arts, because classical music can seem kind of, you know, stuffy. And when we say classical, we're using, you know, I don't want anyone who studies this to be like, well, you know, this isn't really classical. This is Baroque and this is, you know, Renaissance. Oh, God. We're using classical as a catch-all term, <laughs> catch-all term, even neoclassical, but that type of music can seem inaccessible to a lot of people. You know, like if you think about like, you know, like you think about someone like Beethoven. Who was that? Whoops. You think of someone like a Beethoven, you know, that song, it has a dun-dun-dun-dun, like people know that part, and then after that it's kind of like, eh, that funny scene from The Simpsons where they do that. And then everyone gets up. It's like, we already played the part we know. <laughs> so it's like, how do you make that type of music accessible to people? That's how you do it. You play, are these, are how, not accessible to people, but how do you make an orchestra accessible to people is what I meant to say. You play music that they know. So whether it be like, hey, we're going to play the theme to Jurassic Park. We're going to play this video game's music. I feel I felt like the next the next progression is like, let's get these rap artists in here <laughs> and let's play some rap songs, you know? Yeah. I um, just trying to figure out like what the audience was for that. Uh, I, I, I can see the, the nostalgia angle. I, um, and for those who I guess want to seem more cultured. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you can get up dressed all nice, go see the orchestra, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, I uh, I just thought I thought that was interesting. Um, so you brought this up. I I realized the video that I saw, a video I saw uh, with this topic, the which we've talked about before, was from last month, but it still applies. So yeah. it's these Gen Zers, uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> but it's the the the. The experience of going to a concert has completely changed. We talked about that yeah. a few episodes back. Um, now, the video I saw, and, I know, and you you, you uh, have read something about something more recent. The video I saw was uh, Neo was performing, and someone threw a cup of ice at him. Come on, people. <laughs> and... You know, he he had to, you know, he tried to soldier on, but he's like, hey, hey, don't be an asshole. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it who threw it, but you see in the video a so cup of funny. ice yeah. comes right at him. And we've talked about before how the experience has changed where people are playing games during the show mm -hmm. or screaming out weird things or just screaming in general. general yeah. <laughs> uh, and of course the video of the the people recording themselves on TikTok lip syncing a song that's being performed on the stage in front of them by the actual artist who does the song. Yeah. Um so uh what Ben had brought up is that with Taylor Swift her tour's already started. Her tour started, yeah. Okay. Uh projected to be the um I don't know if you sent me the video or if it just came up with how much money she's made on each tour or on her last couple of tours. She's yeah. She's making a lot of money, like, like stupid money. Like the last tour, um, or maybe it was the, it was something either 
it was 19 the 1989 tour or the one after mm-hmm. made like 350 million dollars and it was like 30 something shows that's or, insane. Or, or it was less than 50 shows that's insane and it was just each tour was making uh, more and more millions of That's dollars why she in with the studio, fewer man. shows. With fewer shows. I thought she'd stay in the studio. <laughs> uh, but what what did you what did you um, read about as far as her current tour? Uh, well, first off, very impressive three hour set. Ooh, three hour. That's like some cover band stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like that's like you know. You play the local pub, and they're like, hey, bro, we need you to play from 9 till midnight. <laughs> and you play for, you know, most touring artists don't do that. You know, that's like, that's really on the level of, like, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Um, and I think with that coming out, I'll be curious now to see if, if Beyonce releases what she's doing. You know, because apparently this is for Taylor. They say this is like a victory lap, a celebration of her career. That's why they call it Eras from start to finish. So I'm guessing from the first album that I don't really care about to this latest album that I don't really care about. I like the stuff in between. But um, so that first off, there's that. Um, second off, the video that I saw was <laughs> talking about the boomerfication is, is what they called it. Boomerfication of Gen Z. Let's see if I can find this article. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, this is a video that I saw. Oh, it was video, TikTok, okay. Yeah. So um, I believe this was her first night. Um, if you, if you like looked it up on TikTok, you're seeing several people getting escorted out of the venue. Um, these, these miscreants, these vagrants, I guess you could call them getting escorted out. Um, the first video that I came across, which was truly one that was kind of scary and, you know, seeing it from two angles, you could tell she was a bit shaken, but the scenario was, um, it's during bad blood, the way the stage is, is made, there's a catwalk that extends out. And then there's, you know, crowds that are behind gates, you know, that are are there. You know, they're not within arm's reach, but, you know, they're close enough to where you could get a, a, a really good view of Taylor Swift. You're probably like five to ten feet from her. Um, oh, I found an article. Probably not the same. Yeah. It, it, well, you saw a TikTok. I, yeah. I found an article. Two uh, people, for some yeah. reason, two guys decided to jump that gate and uh, run and grab her leg. <laughs> Um, what the hell, man? Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, just, well, you paid your ticket, you can touch? Like, <laughs> that's ridiculous. So they got escorted out, um, very violently, I might add. Like, they, like, the, they just grabbed them any kind of way they could get them out. Um, the other video they referred to was, you know, which talked about the boomification was how they're seeing Gen Zers say, I paid my money, I'm going to enjoy this how I want. I don't care how it affects other people. And this was a young lady who just felt the need to just constantly scream so much that she annoyed the people around her and eventually was escorted out of the concert. Like you Uh, paid a lot of money to come to this thing. Like, why would you do something to put yourself in jeopardy? You know, but. So one, I I don't know if it's the same one, but uh, the person who posted it said the last time I saw Taylor Swift on tour, the mom next to us asked if we could calm down because we were scaring her seven year old. And then she wrote, see you tomorrow at Taylor Swift. I feel bad for whoever is next to me. Oof. Oof. Uh, And people have, there have been divisions as far as the the comments. Someone said, I would have told the mom to shut up and leave then. 
Um, <sighs> Man, like, and I guess what I would want to know is like, what was the level of their outbursts? You know, because you had a concert, you're gonna sing, you're gonna have fun, you're gonna cheer, but like, don't shriek. Like, are you shrieking? Or you know, like, it's you know, what are you? What are you being obnoxious? You know, that'd be my question. Let me see if this um, if this video has sound. Let's see if it'll play. That's obnoxious. Holy crap. That's yeah, obnoxious. That, that's the that's the video. Um, yeah. That's getting punched in the face. Like that's please stop. <laughs> uh, wow. And some people have, have some people another person responded, uh, you're doing proper concert etiquette. You're supposed to scream and sing along. And someone else said, uh, I could totally understand if this was like some intimate small gathering. But this is a stadium of 60,000 people. You're telling me screaming is not concert etiquette. Screaming, but not shrieking. That was obnoxious. Like you're just you're trying to call you're trying to call attention to yourself. That's main character energy. Um, and then one person made a post. Uh, I don't know. I may be missing part of the story. And she was screaming something crazy. Let's see what this person said. What the hell are y'all talking about when y'all say concert etiquette? Because I'm seeing people say concert etiquette is gone because some girl was screaming at a Taylor Swift concert. Be fucking for real for a second. I could totally understand if this was like some intimate small gathering, right? Oh, this and is it was maybe like a hundred people. But this is a stadium of like 60,000 fucking people. And you're telling me... It, screaming is is like not concert etiquette what like i feel like i'm missing part of the story because that sounds so fucking dumb because why would you go to a concert if you're not comfortable with screaming let alone a fucking taylor swift concert i feel like y'all just find anything to complain about nowadays but i didn't i didn't see the tiktok so maybe i'm missing something a part of the full story but that sounds dumb as fuck what 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 do you think now, now with the full statement? What do you think of that main character energy? But yeah, like that's there's a difference. Come on, like she can't oh, be here's that the, uh, stupid. The video you were talking about, the boomerification of Gen Z. Um, is it long? I don't recall, but possibly. Uh, I'm trying to play it. Oh, what was it taken down? <laughs> what oh, just happened? I hope not. <laughs> oh, let me play it from here. I'm not gonna like stitch or tag her because oh, she is, is probably yeah. very yeah. young. She was at the Taylor tour a couple of nights ago and was shrieking at the top of her lungs and people around her were asking her to be quiet and she was like, no, because I spent my money. So I'm allowed to do whatever I want. And this sense of entitlement and something I've also seen in those videos with like sassy college professor responses when the professor is like, did you even read the syllabus? And people in the comments freak out like Gen Z or some people in Gen Z will say, I'm paying my money. So how dare you speak to me like this? Or Conversely, here, I'm paying my money, so I'm allowed to act however I want. And it's so interesting, this, like, intense level of entitlement, because I feel like we millennials didn't act like this at concerts. Like, this is something that is so shocking to me, because it's like, you either go one of two ways, right? You say, I paid my money, so I'm allowed to behave however I want, 
or you say, we are living in a society with mutually agreed upon set of social norms and mores, right? Like sociologically, you understand that it, there's an appropriate way to behave when you're surrounded by people who also paid $500 or whatever. But it's like your level of fun and comfort is superseding everyone else around you. And it's so intense seeing this like stark divide in the comments, right? Because people are freaking out in the comments of this girl's video. And I mean, clearly, you know where I come down on the side of it, but it's just so crazy that Gen Z is supposed to be like enlightened and like moving us forward and being so progressive. But then when it comes to, I spent $200 on these tickets, so I'm going to act a fucking fool. Yeah. Um, now with, with seeing the video, like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it, how it comes off to me. Uh, it's this, this sense of entitlement. Um, and it's the main character energy that we talked about. It's like with us going to a concert, it's like, okay, for the most part, we're not going to do anything crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, or the crazy thing happens in the crowd where, you know, you know, someone's crowd surfing Yeah. or, or, you know, uh, some girl gets on someone's shoulders and shows her boobs. <laughs> but, we don't. We didn't post that on social media. No, we Depending did not. on the age we were, we didn't post that on social media. May, probably no one even had a camera. Yeah, not even a disposable camera. That sounds to like capture something like that behavior right there. But <laughs> for us, like that's that's crazy behavior at a concert. But it's not really hurting anybody mm -mm. for the most part. No one's getting no one's getting hurt. It's funny and. <laughs> We hope, you know, y'all don't drop that guy who's crowd who's surfing right now. Yeah. <laughs> don't drop him. Um, but with this, it's like, I don't know of any other, like what in your life, and anybody listening, think about this. In your life, you paid money for something so you can behave however. What setting is that? What setting is it? What set, yeah, what setting that is you that you can okay? behave however you want because you paid? Because you paid for the the privilege, what what setting is it where you pay for the privilege to behave however you want? I don't know. One of them anger rooms. <laughs> oh, the what those like we could break stuff. Yeah, that's the only thing I can think of. But even still, they got rules. But the point is to is to break stuff. Yeah, they give you a, a bat or they give you glasses to throw or mm -hmm. TVs to to. I beat. can't think of any place though where you can just you paid like oh. I, I didn't realize you paid to be here. Please go ahead. Do whatever you please. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what setting is that? So uh, I'm going to post this on TikTok as well, I think. And, and like give and give your answers where you are entitled to uh, whatever to do, whatever, because you paid money. It's their party. They can cry if they want. I'm kidding. I have no clue. It doesn't make any sense, but. You know, it's it's the like they said the boomerification. Yeah, so I thought that was uh that was that's that's interesting, but it's something that you know will probably something else will come up again where with this. Will someone have with the this guts crazy behavior to grab Beyonce? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> if someone grabs Beyonce, oh I wouldn't be surprised, and not to make this so morbid, I would be surprised if there were snipers. <laughs> <laughs> but to keep it safe, oh god, 
just so there's no murder at the Beyonce concert, they got the bullets that like will knock you unconscious. Oh, the rubber bullets. The rubber bullets. Oh goodness. Oh, it'll God. be that, but you know they won't kill you. <laughs> no one touches Queen B. Uh, or they'll be their security. Like if she if she has a similar type of type of stage set up where mm-hmm. there's a cat that she walks out to, their security. There's yeah. you you don't get to touch Beyonce. <laughs> There's a there's a barrier of offensive linemen between the I, concert goers and the stage. I imagine at her next tour stop, I would hope that Beyonce beat not Beyonce, excuse me, Taylor Swift beefed up her security because they were there fast, but not fast enough. Mm. <laughs> it's like they were on there literally like they grabbed the leg and they were there. And it's like, ah, you should have been like a half a second earlier. You could have stopped this. Beyonce won't make that mistake. It'll just be a line of people just surrounding an impenetrable force. Um, yeah. So, um, like the Dallas Cowboys for offensive line <laughs> <laughs> of the nineties. Yeah. Now. <laughs> um, so, uh, that's all I had for music news. If there, unless you had something else, nah, nothing, nothing really. All right. Well, uh, let's get to the cover song of the week. Um, it is my selection. I don't know if I've played this on the podcast before. I may have, but it might have been like during our, uh, I, it might have been our, um, one of our first few episodes where we talked about like social music. Oh, okay. Um, one of our wokest, ep- no, I don't know if it's one of our wokest episodes. <laughs> is there such a thing? They, Do don't even, they don't even know what the word means. Yeah. It, the, the, the definition has been skewed. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Skewed. <laughs> but uh, this is a song that uh, the version of it I heard on an episode of Cold Case. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, they made patriotism uh, funky. Oh. So this is uh, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings and their cover of This Land is Your Land. Oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, I think y'all like this one. So here we go. This land is your land custom for this segment we just do the first verse that uh, opening sounded very similar to god bless the child i got a little bit of that in there uh what version of god bless the child by um why can i think of their name oh goodness um uh, um hold on not the billy holiday version stevie ella Blood, Sweat, and Tears? Blood, Sweat, and Tears, yes. That's All right, it. let's check that one out. It just sounds similar, just the opening. 
Just with the horns. That's 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 literally it. That's just that part. One of my favorite openings. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people caught that Dave Chappelle used that when he came out on um, SNL to do mm. his monologue. He used that opening. Yeah. I don't know if many people caught that. I, I, I don't recall, so no? I take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's get to the Billboard charts. Uh, let's start with the Hot 100. What a, it what dropped a, for one week, but now it's back to number one. Yeah. Flowers by Miley Cyrus. Back to number one. But number one last week, last night by the redeemable Morgan Wallet. This dude is, I'm telling you, man. This album's going to be huge. He can't be stopped. <laughs> this album's going to be huge, and there's nothing y'all can do about it. He will sweep it. <laughs> is he still allowed in the CMAs? I don't know. He'll sweep them if he is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, number three, Kill Bill by SZA. Number four, Die For You by The Weeknd and Ariana Grande. Number five, Creepin' by Metro Boomin, The Weeknd and 21 Savage. Number six, Boys A Liar Part Two by Pink Panthers and Ice Spice. Uh, number seven, Antihero by Taylor Swift. Number eight, Calm Down by Rima and Selena Gomez. Number nine, Thought You Should Know by Morgan Wallen. And number 10, You Proof by Morgan Wallen. I'm willing to bet he probably, because I'm looking a little bit further down, he probably had one of those releases where a lot of his songs took up the top 10 the first week it came out, I bet. Yeah. Well, no, no. You Proof has been on the charts, it says 44 weeks. Oh, oh so. is that the song he did with... Um, mm. And thought you should know has been on the charts for thirty one weeks. Oh, so he's just got a boost. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's look at the albums, and it debuted <laughs> at number one last week, and it's number one still. So the album is out, one mm-hmm. thing at a time, by the redeemable Morgan Wallet. <laughs> <laughs> it, it might be there for a while y'all so uh settle in <laughs> it has a parental advisory label on it i guess he's a little edgy <laughs> edgier he got Morgan some things Wallet. to say <laughs> uh number two debuting at number two ready to be 12th mini album ep by twice this looks like a k-pop group yeah. with at least Nine members. <laughs> um, number three, and debuts at number three, Endless Summer Vacation by Miley Cyrus. Number four, SOS by SZA. Number five, Manana Sera Bonito by Carol G. Number six, Midnight's by Taylor Swift. Number seven, Dangerous the Double Album by Morgan Wallen. I'm telling y'all, like I said in the last episode, this is going to be a Post Malone type run with these two albums. <laughs> Settle in. They're going to be there for a while. Uh, Dangerous Double Album, it's been on the charts for two years now. That's incredible. And I believe yeah. most of that time has been spent in the top ten. Yes. 
Uh, number eight, Heroes and Villains by Metro Boomin. Number nine, Un Verano Sinti by Bad Bunny. And number 10, Her Loss by Drake and 21 Savage. Uh, let's see how far did Harry's house fall uh, to number 16. Now, if if this album doesn't, if he's not nominated for album of the year, I might lean towards conspiracy. Ooh. I mean, Morgan Wallen, that is. Oh, Morgan Wallen? Well, is he, I, I we'll have to see, is he allowed? Because I know um, after the, the incident, we'll just call it the incident, <laughs> he was banned from certain award shows. So they yeah. might not even, you know, he might not even be in consideration, which is why I think, you know, the CMAs will probably have him back if, if they ever banned him at any point. I'm going to see here. Uh, Morgan Wallen, <clears throat> CMA Awards. Or he could pull a weekend and just be like, you know, well, no, that was Drake that that pulled his work from being considered. So last year, because when we first when the incident happened, that was 2021. He was nominated for best album okay. that year, best and country then, album, or just yeah, okay. best well at the CMAs. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And then the next year, he was nominated for best male vocalist and entertainer of the year. Okay. Um, and it looks like he performed there. Was this last year? Yeah, he performed there last year. So they never turned their back on him. No. He'll he'll probably be up for Entertainer of the Year again, I imagine. Yeah. So, um Yeah, yeah he was banned. Yeah, he was banned in 2021 from the CMAs? From the CMAs. Okay. That was just a one-year ban, apparently. Sounds like it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and so nothing about him being banned from the Grammys though? No. So he'll be he'll be nominated for something. Whether it will be album of the year, I don't know because typically to be nominated for album of the year as a country artist, you have to be like alter, you have to be like Sturgill Simpson, like alternative country. Um now song of the year, we've seen Lady Antebellum has been nominated there yeah. before. I want to think they've been more they're more willing to nominate country or I should say modern well, country artists. Casey Musgraves that. not count? Ah, I forgot about Because she won album yeah, of the year. Yeah, she won album of the year. I w- yeah, yeah, because that, w- that is kind of a pop country album. So I take that back. Yeah, they'll nominate you. I, you got to be socially conscious, though. <laughs> there's going to – there's that the incident's going to come up again if he's nominated. Yeah. I will say that. Um, I guess if, if he yeah. had something to say on this album, maybe. And I don't, I don't know if he would because, you know, he's – He's not a writer, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I'm not that type of person. But I imagine, like, if, you know, if he were, like, let's think about the last time a country album besides the Casey Musgrave one, one was Not Ready to Make Nice. Well, that was Song of the Year. Not Ready to Make uh, Nice. They won Album of the Year. They, they won Album of the Year. Home. The long, the long okay. They had something to say, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, it wasn't as altruistic. This isn't as altruistic, you know, because they were, they were, like, protesting the war. He's trying to come back from dropping an end bomb. So, <laughs> like, so it's the same. <laughs> so what's the album is called One Thing at a Time. Maybe that was his road to recovery. He took it one thing at a time. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I could see if they're like, yeah, this is his redemption arc. And he like performs at the Grammys and he brings up, I don't know, like the the true measurement of this since the award show still exists is he performs at the American Music Awards. Ooh. That's the popularity contest right there. Performs yeah. there. He's got the Grammy wrapped up, I think. 
<laughs> I'm just trying to think of someone they could they could pair him with that could make it be you know like that I have black friends type thing. Uh, I just don't know. And it, it can't be Nelly. No, I think Nelly is Nelly's, that too too easy. Yeah, and it can't be LL Cool J because Brad Paisley already kind of screwed that up. With Let's X, see if he had. Does he have any features? All right, he's got a song with Eric Church and a song with Hardy. Mm. Um, what about Blanco Brown? He could do a he could do a song with Blanco Brown. He's popular enough. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Ernest, that's another country singer. Uh, Blanco Brown possibility. Jimmy Allen. Oh, Jimmy Allen would be the uh, safe bet. Mickey Guyton. She'd be another safe bet. Uh, the 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 kid who had the song called My Truck. That's I think that's not Blanco Brown, or is it? I can't remember. Song called My Truck. Don't. Don't. Why is Morgan Wallen so famous? Oh Lord, I just googled this. (laughs) Why is he so famous? That's the Breland. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um Nelly, of course. The I think a safer bet than Jimmy Allen would be Kane Brown. Ooh. He's cause he's ambiguous. <laughs> he's racially ambiguous. You squint your eyes hard enough you could pretend he's not. <laughs> I could see that. There's have you heard of that podcast? I sent you that podcast, Color Me Country? Yeah, you did. Okay, you okay, did. yeah. Michael Warren, I don't know if you remember him. Um, from back in the day. He he came out of Birmingham. But he came to Carrollton every now and then to perform. Yeah, yeah, he's he was on there. Yeah. Um, so let's look at the uh, artist one hundred number one. Of course, Morgan Wallen. <laughs> it's the it, it's his year. It's the come comeback season, oh, I guess. <laughs> Just in time, too, man. Um, it's one of those things where like I don't wish ill will towards people. I don't even know this guy. But it is very interesting just to kind of see how right we're kind of about this. <laughs> and it's not even like, you know, we're trying. Like, it's just. You're you, seeing it. You couldn't, you're seeing write it, it happen. you couldn't write this better, you know? <laughs> Number two, uh, Twice, the um, K-pop group, allegedly or apparently. Uh, number three, Miley Cyrus. Number four, SZA. Number five, Taylor Swift. Number six, The Weeknd. Number seven, Luke Combs. Number eight, Drake. Number nine, Harry Styles. And number 10, Rihanna. Woohoo. Uh, one more thing I wanted to bring up since we, this is our last episode, there was the Oscars and Natu Natu won Best Original Song. Is that from the RRR movie? Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Uh, we played a snippet of that uh, during the Golden Globes, after the Golden Globes, and they won Best Original Song. That's dope. I think that, I think it was like, Probably not even close that it was going to win. Uh, I know a, a couple of, uh, I know a an actual film critic, and I know someone who fancies himself a film critic at least, <laughs> and they both said that song was going to win. Oh, so okay, I, I take their I'll uh, take their word for it on that one. Did they did they guess Jamie Lee Curtis also? No, they Stephanie uh, Sue. They I think they both guessed Stephanie Sue on okay. that one. It's interesting. Have you seen that movie yet? I haven't seen it. It's really good. You should. Um, I wager to say she might have been in the wrong category because everyone talks about how integral she was to that movie. I think she could have been a co-lead. Like mm. she was that she's that relevant, that important in the movie. But just my two cents. Um, yeah, I, I it's one of those from what I read. It's one of those movies that. um 
it's you won't see a lot of movies like that to where no, it, I agree. I to agree. where it's <laughs> at, like budget wise and and the you know practical effects that they may have put in, mm-hmm. um, and then having uh, trying to make it with. I mean, the directors and writers are are Asians. They had Asian leads. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I just wonder. Because they originally wrote Michelle Yeoh's role was originally written for Jackie Chan. Yeah, and I I just yeah. wonder like what would that have been like? Uh, I don't it, know if it, it would have been, been much different because she takes on that persona, which I think is what made people kind of see her in a different light and really respect her because she's typically like the more I've learned about her, she seems like she's like the Asian Angela Bassett, mm-hmm. like she plays these very stoic, strong roles, and in this one she's like vulnerable she's comical she's vulnerable she's not the stoic you know leading lady and it's i i haven't seen much with her so this will be my domineering personality memory of her but i thought she was phenomenal in it um i i thought it was really good like they basically have her act as if she were at certain points a female jackie chan so we kind of get an idea of what it would have been like but I think it would have been absolute like just batshit crazy if Jackie Chan did it, because it would have been even just cooler to see. Just yeah, so yeah. All right, so that'll do it for our music news. Um, so Ben, uh, tell us about your earworm of the week. Um, haven't heard this song in a while. I was digging through old playlists. Um, I think the first time I heard this was in The Departed, <laughs> uh, because Martin Scorsese just loves to use classic rock. In his movies, um, he's used Layla in a couple yeah. of movies. I think uh, <laughs> there was even a really good live version of um, "Comfortably Numb," <laughs> oh, yeah. featuring yeah. Van Morrison. Yeah, really good. Um, just a lot of stuff in in The Departed, three-hour movie, a lot of music. That's just what Scorsese does. But "Sail on Sailor" by the Beach Boys. I thought it was also even more ironic considering the subject that we're talking about. Um, and the grievances of one of the characters in the movie mm-hmm. against the Beach Boys that we'll talk about later. But this was later Beach Boys where they were kind of different. I guess you could almost say this was like their White Album era where it's just like they don't sound like the surfer music. It's it's a blues shuffle. You know, the harmonies are there, but, you know, the instrumentation is different. It's just if you heard this and you heard Don't Worry Baby, you wouldn't believe they're the same bands. I'll say that much. All right. So this is Sail on Sailor by the Beach Boys, and we will be right back. i 
Ceylon Sailor by the Beach Boys from their album Holland. Which they recorded in Holland. Oh. Yeah. Well, there in you a, have it. In a barn. <laughs> uh, you can check that out on our BTT YHT Earworms of the Week playlist right now. And uh, let's get to our main topic. So we started this episode with the song I'm a Man. Uh, originally performed by Muddy Waters, but the version you heard was performed by Mm -hmm. Jeffrey Wright as Muddy Waters. Which is impressive, because I was sure, I was just sure (laughs) the only person that did their singing was Beyonce. I was just so certain, but that's, bravo, Jeffrey Wright, bravo. So we'll be talking about the film Cadillac Records. Um, This came out in 2008, um, there is, uh, you know, it's about the the rise of you know blues music uh, with this particular record label, mm-hmm. Chess Records. Um, and I watched when I, I the first time I watched the movie was a, a few years ago, and the main thing I remember is <laughs> the main thing I came away with: were they paid in Cadillacs rather than money? So, <laughs> kinda. Yeah, that's what it seemed um, like. I was like, "Oh, that's where they get." Because I thought it was literally called Cadillac Records, but it's Chess Records. Yeah. But you know, he's like, hey, "Welcome to Cadillac Records." Sooner or later, everybody gets one. Um, after doing some a bit of, um, as they call it on Rewatchables, half-assed internet research, <laughs> um, I did find that they did eventually sue him. They um, did, yes, and. Part of what they were, what they found was he was I guess um, he was putting their royalties towards Cadillacs and paying them, and that was their payments rather than royalties. Yeah, and like, yeah, it was the the whole movie to me. The Leonard Chess character was very ambiguous. I wasn't sure if he was a villain or if he was a father figure, because like on one one hand he takes good care of his artists. It seems. But then on the other hand, it's like Muddy's constantly having to go to him for money. <laughs> and it's like, you know. It's like he never. Yeah. It just seemed like <laughs> it just seemed like it, it kind of started coming off as kind of Jerry Hellerish, you know. Yeah. But I know that, you know, it should have come off. Jerry Heller should have come off as Leonard, as Leonard Chess-esque because <laughs> he did it before him. So it's, I, don't, I just never knew what to think. Uh, this movie was written and directed by Darnell Martin. Uh, she is probably more famously known for her film "I Like It Like That" from 1994, um, and she the, she directed the TV movie "Their Eyes Are Watching God" based on the Zora, Zora Neale Hurston novel. Um, she's also uh, oh, <laughs> this is interesting. So she directed. A movie that I was an extra for. Oh. <laughs> so we were in the same room at some point. Um, <laughs> the Lost Valentine, uh, okay. a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie starring Jennifer Love Hewitt and Betty White. Jennifer Love Hewitt. So you were in the same room as Jennifer Love Hewitt? Yeah. 
I was about I was about twenty feet away. Envy. <laughs> Envy. <laughs> um and see well she's done uh Firelight, another made for TV movie with Cuba Gooding Jr. Um and Wish You Well, a uh another film uh from twenty thirteen. Um it was like an independent film. I'm not familiar with that one. But uh yeah, so she's um she wrote and directed this uh Cadillac Records. Um so yeah, let's let's get into it. Of course I have notes. <laughs> um, likewise, likewise. Okay. Uh here we go. Um the thing that was confusing about first seeing uh Leonard Chess is he's um with his girlfriend who that girlfriend at the time never shows up again. We never see her again. Never. Uh I her was name was something sure, something Fader. I was for sure she would be in a Cadillac later as he proclaimed. Because he's like she's like, When are we gonna get married? And he's like, I I can't afford it. But he had I mean he had, you know, plans. Yeah. He had ideas. Yeah, dreams. Yeah, dreams. Dreams, dreams. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh so he had um, he had dreams and he wanted to open a, a Negro club. <laughs> so <laughs> that was to say it like funny. that, but that's that's what he said. Who was uh, I? Don't know why I thought that's that's not Craig T. Nelson. J. O. Sanders. Okay, I've seen him. He's a he's a that guy type guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just wrote like some schmuck from the same village in Poland. This is classism, y'all. <laughs> um. Yeah, basically, you know, like you're a nobody. I'm taking my daughter. <laughs> it's like, all right, and it happened so fast. Like he yeah. just showed up, just out the blue, just took her away. We never saw her again. And he's like, my wife's gonna drive a Cadillac. Okay, so that's where that that came to be. <laughs> but I didn't know that. Like, oh, we'd never see her again. Nope. <laughs> later, Manuel Shiriki, Shiriki, how you say Shikri. Shikri shows up, and I'm like. Mm. I don't think she dyed her hair, so this is a different woman. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'll get to that in a second. Um, so, um, Muddy Waters, who's a sharecropper. Um, I don't. The thing that didn't make sense about his introduction is when that guy, when those two guys came mm-hmm. to record him, how did they know about him? So <laughs> many of this. <sighs> God, I never thought I'd be the one to say this. There, this movie lacked so much development. Yeah, like it just assumes there's just a lot of things that you just know, and apparently somehow they just knew that there was a dude who played guitar and sang named Muddy Water sharecropping out. They just showed up. Hey, we're here to record folk music. He's like me. He's he, even he surprised they know who he is. <laughs> How do you think the viewer feels? <laughs> That was that like, was so it made yeah. no sense. It was so random. <laughs> like okay, so yeah, and he's you know living in a shack by himself yeah. apparently, and and uh, then they record him, and he's like, oh, that's what I sound like. I thought that scene was magical. I really liked that scene, just the look on his face when he first heard himself, and then he walked to Chicago. <laughs> yeah, that was insane. So is that what was implied? He walked there. There was no vehicle. He's walking on the train tracks. It just showed that it just like he was like, oh, that's what I sound like. Oh, I can 
I can make some money. Bring some money doing these music things, and then he walked to Chicago. And Muddy Waters, for for those who you know aren't familiar, is known as like the godfather of the Chicago blues sound. Like he was one of the originators. Yes. Um, so that made me excited just because you know I, I I like Muddy. I respect Muddy Waters. Um, Didn't know he walked it. <laughs> That's insane. And uh, well, the, I guess the story is true. Uh, Alan Lomax, who is uh, an ethno who is an ethnomusicologist. Okay. Uh, known for his numerous field recordings of folk music, uh, came on behalf of the Library of Congress, and he came to Muddy's house and recorded them. And he said, when he played back the first song, I sounded just like anybody's records. Man, you don't know how I felt that Saturday afternoon when I heard that voice, and it was my own voice. Later on, he sent me two copies of the pressing and a check for 20 bucks. And I carried that record up to the corner and put it on the jukebox. Just played it and played it and said, I can do it. I can do it. And wow. then that inspired him to walk to Chicago, I guess, <laughs> to become a full-time musician. Wow. I love it. So love that, it. that moment did happen for those who've seen the film. Um, so we have the first iteration of the creepy black man uh, when Leonard has his club and he's looking for musicians and mm-hmm. that guy comes up to him like I lost two daughters to blues man two blues men that, yeah that was very Ooh. ominous <laughs> um, so I guess it was I don't know if it was direction or, or maybe it was a real thing about how and Muddy uh, muddy Waters like it's the character would say this later in the film how um Uh, a black man who could play guitar and sing was more powerful than Superman. Mm. And so it like, even at that time, like a black man who could play the blues, who could play and sing, it was, it's, it looked, they made it to be like, it was a special power larger than. Yeah. Yeah. As evidence in some scenes later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we saw the, the first iteration of the, of the creepy black man, and um, I was a little confused. I don't know if you were paying attention because I know you're you're more technical on the instrumentation than I am, obviously. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> when Muddy first meets Walter, mm-hmm. and he asks to you know play the guy's guitar, yeah, uh, can that guitar make that sound? So I don't. It didn't seem like it. It. I couldn't see any amps. I, it, 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 which is what kind of threw me <laughs> off. Because it's just like every guitar he picked up sounded the exact same. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, I, yeah, I, I'd, I'd need to see an amplifier. I'm trying to think. Was he playing an acoustic? It looked like an acoustic guitar. If there was a pickup in it, granted, I and don't then know he how. Just, and then when he handed it to him, he starts playing, and now it's an electric guitar. Yeah. I didn't see anything, any other changes. Because I don't, I don't even know if they were putting pickups in acoustic guitars that far back. So probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, it's funny. It's like, okay, so when Muddy and Walter meet and they get together, and then that that other guy, I forgot who that was, uh, Jimmy something. Cutting heads. Jimmy Rogers. I think that's who that was. Okay. Uh, so they form a trio. They start playing, and they just walk into Litter's Club. And, and I was like, this is a rap battle. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> um, and Leonard was yeah. just like, let him play. Like, Leonard's stirring the pot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like, 
what transpired after that is kind of your fault. Yeah, you could have put an end <laughs> to this, but you didn't. You could have said, hey, get out of here. Uh, come, come back, back, come back in the yeah. morning or something. I'll see about booking you. Yeah, everything was just moving so fast yeah. in this movie. Didn't even think, didn't even mention, like, they, I I felt this movie kept introducing characters that were inconsequential. Like, they, like, the woman who, you know, pulls up in her big, shiny car and is like, I make race records. We see her one more was time. That was supposed to be Isabel Allen, and I don't know who that is. I said, um, I make race records. That's black music, y'all. That's what that was back then. <laughs> And like we've mentioned that before. Yeah, we've talked race about race music is just any music by a black artist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Until of course some a certain someone came along and just magically with like one phrase integrated radio. We'll talk about that later. But <laughs> um, but yeah, we you see her later like once. Yeah, and then she just gets pissed off because of the way that Leonard does business, and you never see her again. Nope. And it's just like that. Just felt like okay. But that's how that's the pace of this movie. Yeah. Um uh I noticed the code switching muddy waters. Yeah. <laughs> because he's like uh like I, I thought everything was good, boss. He's like, I ain't your boss. Mm-hmm. What the fuck do you want? <laughs> <laughs> so um I was And then and then we meet Emmanuel Shikri as Ravetichez. I'm like, so he just married somebody else? That we never heard about. <laughs> he finally made it, and I guess the blonde girl didn't work out because he was some smuck from the same village in Poland. Yeah. <laughs> he could never have, like, but I got a Cadillac, and that doesn't matter. You're a schmuck. <laughs> you can have 10 Cadillacs. I don't care. Uh, what did you have at this point? Oh, well, I, so going back to the, the cutting heads, when they walk into the um, into the bar, into mm-hmm. Leonard's bar, and he starts and Muddy starts playing, and he's and he's playing slide, and it's just like, I felt like slide guitar in this movie was like the alley oop in um in um oh god uh, semi pro, like just no one <laughs> knew how to deal with it, like like you have someone there who's just playing perfectly fine. Money takes out that slide. They're like, "What the fuck? What's this?" It, it changed like, things. I don't know what this is. It, it changed. It, it they boss. What is they, this? There were some game changing moments that yeah. were really subtle in the way they were uh, portrayed. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so we get a Vincent D'Onofrio uh, that cameo. That was awesome, right? <laughs> as a DJ in Mississippi, uh, we see the the payola, and uh, when he said he was obviously we said you know race music i'm like okay yeah yeah i mean it, i mean it, that's what it like it we that, just it's described <laughs> it's not like they lie and this is what they called it <laughs> any song by a black artist was called race music so yeah um what was interesting though is that this was his his first song i think it was uh i can't be satisfied i, I can't believe remember. so i think that was the name of the song um but uh I don't know if there was an album cover or anything, but how did those girls know what Muddy looked like when they came to his hotel room? Good point. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I mean, okay, if you saw a show, okay, but it was just like it was right after the radio station scene. <laughs> and you don't know. There's no establishment of like how they know this guy. Yeah. Maybe they were like, you know, 
they're just headhunters as well, <laughs> in the sense. Yeah, in a different way. Yeah, and someone <laughs> told them, like, hey, there's this famous blues man named Muddy Waters, third floor, second door on the right. <laughs> they just went up there. It's like, <laughs> they just assumed the black guy that answers the door, clearly that's Muddy Waters, and peeks in a little bit more like, who's this white dude? <laughs> 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 they just, like, instantly were like, like It's like, he don't bite. It's like, that's, that's just so interesting. You know? Hey, Muddy tried to help him out, though. He tried yeah, to Muddy out. tried to throw him, you know. Okay, so <laughs> when he leaves, um, well, first off, the funny, you got such hair. They just grabbed him by his hair, and they're feeling on Adrian Brunner's <laughs> hair. You got such hair. Um, <laughs> was he mad that he didn't cheat, or was he insinuating that he didn't like black women? Muddy was insinuating that he didn't like black women. Okay, th- I was wondering because I got a wife. She ain't redhead. Like, do you want him to cheat? Like, I didn't. It's just like, and neither is his wife. Like, <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> it makes sense, but okay. That I was like, it's one or the other, you know? Because yeah. clearly, Muddy cheats. Muddy don't care. He, he out here. Yeah, you know. And I don't know if he was looking at Leonard like you know, like Wayne Brady at Dave Chappelle. Like, if you don't get in here, <laughs> we gonna have a problem. <laughs> I'm not gonna be the only one out here. Caught up, you know, so I was just wondering that. Clearly, uh, he had no problem with black women, as we yes, find out later. Yes. <laughs> um, so later, Muddy learns about contracts. That's the music business, y'all. Yep. Tell you, man. Where was where was um, Michael Bivens? <laughs> read your contract. Did you read your contract? Um, like I said, there were some some very there were some. Uh, game-changing moments that are in in the broader spectrum of music are game-changing moments that were subtly portrayed in this film. And another one happened in the next scene. Amplifying and uh, harmonica. They were renegades, man. That was different, you know? He was in... Was it Norman Reedus's character? Yeah. Who almost didn't didn't recognize him. (laughs) Mm, Because I've been seeing him too much as either the guy from the um, Boondock Saints... Blade or from Walking Dead, so clean cut. Eh, I didn't recognize him because he's is he supposed to be Leonard Chess's brother? I think they said because um, they're like was, producing together. He was just credited as engineer. Oh, okay, so he almost like comic relief at a certain point. He just <laughs> doubted everything though. It's like I can't record money like this. He why is he amplifying the the harmonica? And every time Leonard says, just let him do it. Just let him. Like the definition, just let them cook. <laughs> like anything they wanted to do, he supported it and was just like, we'll find a way to make it work. <laughs> In my head, I'm like, he's probably like, don't you dare stop this tape. That is too expensive. Tape is expensive. Don't you stop that tape. The love of God, don't stop it. Um, but yeah, he just let them do whatever. They could just, they're just trying stuff. Now let them, just let them try. Now let them try it. Let them try it. I liked it. <laughs> so when, um, uh, yeah. So the song "Juke" uh, by Lil Walter, uh, blues uh, classic mm-hmm. instrumental, um, it becomes a number one hit. That was li- that was a number one hit. Yeah. Um, and uh, Leonard gets him a Cadillac, uh, just to, for Walter to say, "You my white daddy." <laughs> Columbus Short was like Columbus Short like he was having a lot of fun. Yeah. 
I'll just say that he looked like he was having a lot of fun in this movie. Um, he there was even though like he stood out in the scenes he was in, mm-hmm. there was still a lot left on the table. Oh, most definitely. Well, I mean, most with definitely. everyone. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, with him. I would sure. probably say, if anything, the most developed character was probably Muddy. I think he was more developed than Leonard Chess, honestly. Yeah. Like, we we, we saw very deep into what Muddy Waters was doing. Leonard was probably second, but little Walter, like, you, like, like he's in and out, in and out. Like, what's going on? <laughs> uh, he He's became more mysterious than, than, the, than the rest. <clears throat> yeah. Um, then when he got when Leonard got him the Cadillac, that's when I started thinking, is he paying them in Cadillacs yeah, <laughs> instead of be. money? Yeah, it has to be. Um, which that's I know that's one of the things I can't remember what episode it was that we mentioned this, but you know a lot of black writers, songwriters, and musicians were typically cheated out of royalties back in the day, mm-hmm. um, cheated out of publishing back in the day. You know. Um, so I feel like this is kind of a tongue-in-cheek way <laughs> of showing that. You know, I, we know that it happened. You know, he gave them Cadillacs for real. But this is kind of a tongue-in-cheek way of explaining, like, hey, these people aren't getting money. Like, the only money they're likely getting is the shows that they're playing. Yeah. That's it. And they're not playing big venues. They're playing clubs, you know, so. Um, Willie Dixon, uh, Cedric Entertainer as Willie Dixon, I realized like it was a very I don't know if it was an underdeveloped character or if it That's was just it meant like. to be a, a small character because he was writing a lot of songs. these songs. Yeah. He was writing a lot of these songs. So much so that he was able to sue Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Over Black Dog. So he was he well, was writing a lot of these Led songs. Led Zeppelin stole everything. Everything. <laughs> everything. That's probably one of those things where it's like no one saw it coming, but we should have seen it coming. We should have, yeah. like, it's just, <laughs> like, even the songs you wouldn't think they were stealing, it's like, oh, well, clearly, Stairway to Heaven is not like a blues, oh, they stole that one, too. All right. <laughs> like, like, oh, my God. Everything, y'all. Everything. Led Zeppelin stole everything. From everything anyone, they did. They didn't care if you were red, yellow, black, white. They will steal from you, sir. Like, uh, now, a band like Can Heat, for people who, um, May not be familiar with them, but Can Heat, they at least gave credit or tried to give credit. Mm-hmm. They they remixed some stuff, but they gave credit. Yeah. Led um, Zeppelin was just straight up. Led Zeppelin, just stealing. Just straight up ripping stuff off, <laughs> taking blue standards. Um, mostly, yeah, they, most of their thieving was done from blues artists, but... Um, they didn't. It, they didn't care. They they stole from folk. They did just. It's, it's tragic. It's one of those things where it's just like if we if the internet didn't become what it became, we probably wouldn't even know. Yeah. You know, I think we know about the blue stuff because some of that was pretty blatant, but like the stairway to heaven one, no one would know. No. That one. That one was too obscure. But yeah. But we digress. Um. But yeah, I think I I felt like Willie Dixon was. He felt like a framing device, really, just like. Yeah, I'm the narrator. I'll come in every now and then, <laughs> and it, and it seemed sparse. Like for the amount of involvement he had, you know, it, yeah, where was he? You know, other than like, hey, I, I got a song for you. I don't need no writer. All your songs sound the same. Like <laughs> and he writes and he writes Hoochie Coochie Man. Yeah, and that was a game changing moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, um, 
All right. Uh, so we have the second. You only see him for like two seconds, but Creepy Black Man comes back. Yeah. <laughs> you see him for like two seconds, though. Is that what he's credited as, Creepy Black Man? <laughs> um, is Creepy he Black here? Man with the mustache. His name is uh, Keith. Is either Keith Jackson or David Jackson? I thought you were about to say Keith David. I was like, that one. Oh, uh, it wasn't Keith David. Oh, no, no, no Keith David. Kind of no. looked like Keith David, but it wasn't. No, it wasn't him. Um, they wanted Keith David, but they couldn't get him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see if I can find the whole cast here. Um, Kevin Jackson, my bad. Oh, Kevin okay. Jackson, mysterious black man. He's credited as mysterious black man. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Um. So uh, after, uh, well, Walter finds out his mother died, but then we find out that he didn't have a great relationship with his mother or a relationship at all. Yeah. Um, and he didn't want to go home. Yeah. Uh, he didn't even want to go home to, to, to give her a burial. And so uh, to calm him down, Muddy gives him some alcohol. I think at this time, he's supposed to be like 20, 21. Yeah, he wasn't drinking. He said, I don't touch that stuff. Yeah. And now he then started touching that stuff. Yeah. Um. And I think this was when. I was going to say, there's another game changing moment. I think we might have skipped over it, though. Uh. I don't know if he had, had he done Juke or no, he, he hadn't done My Babe yet. He had done Juke. Mm-hmm. And he was touring, and then oh, they uh, they the see South. some the some imposters, little Walter in the Jukes, and he he's like, "Which one of you, little Walter?" And just pops, just him. shoots him. Is that like, real? Um, you know what? Let's find out. Why you look that up? Um, so again, another game changing moment that I thought was interesting that comes back full circle later. Um, is the police on the streets insulting some long-haired British gentlemen. Yeah. And who are these British gentlemen? The Rolling Stones. They see Muddy Walters, I mean, Muddy Muddy Waters, and get super excited. Um, Trivia fact, yes, they did name themselves after a Muddy Waters song. Um, Because as we've stated here, and it goes back that far, just for some reason, like American black music just plays really well in in the UK. It yeah. just does. Um, so, yeah, they named themselves after a Muddy Waters song. They seem over the moon to see him. I don't know if this really happened, but um, I do like when he said, uh, fuck the Mississippi police. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, just, you know, that, that was kind of cool. Um, comes back full circle a little bit later. Gets them in the studio. They start, you know, covering one of his songs because, I mean, essentially, some people argue that they're a blues band. Some people argue they're a rock band. But, I mean, they started out, like a lot of British rock bands, just doing blues covers. So, and that's what they did in this case. Um, hmm, not seeing if he actually, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. It just seemed so off the handle. <laughs> like, you just kill somebody in Mississippi and, like, you just get away with it. Like, nothing happens. <laughs> I guess like John Mulaney said, it was just easy back then. All you had to do was not be there when the police <laughs> showed up. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Let's see if there was anybody else. 
if there was any other um hmm maybe it's just a legend <laughs> but either way uh I did write did the alcohol make Lil Walter a murderer <laughs> um well he said he he didn't shut up he didn't shot folks before and yeah, he always like, carried a gun. He yeah. always carried a gun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Until, um, what's his name? Um, Muddy's wife. She just took it from him. Yeah. Yeah. She was like, nah, not in, not in this house. <laughs> um, so we meet Howlin' Wolf. What an introduction. Yeah. Um, I've seen him in stuff before, but I just don't know where. I only remember him from the movie Oz. That's uh, Eamon Walker. Okay. He was in. He was on Oz. Um, sure, he's been on Law and Order. Uh, he is because everyone in Oz is on Law and Order eventually. He was imposing, <laughs> like. And he's currently on Chicago PD. Okay. Yeah, he was imposing. Like it was. Because wow. um, I think <clears throat> um, I think Howlin' Wolf, in real life, was. Yeah, six foot three, close to three hundred pounds. So he might have, Eamon Walker might have been like on the small side. Too small to be. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is he's supposed to be like, yeah, this imposing figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he did have nicknames like Bigfoot Chester, his real name, Chester Burnett. Okay. And Bull Cow. And his grandfather gave him the nickname Howlin' Wolf. Um who would yell at him for killing his grandmother's chickens from squeezing them and warning them, warning him that wolves in the area would come and get him. Oh, <laughs> it's kind of creepy. Uh, and then they, and they started calling him a uh, wolf. So, yeah. Um, I think also the introduction showed how much muddy had changed. Yeah. Uh, Cause he became this more, like like cool like he it, you wouldn't even you would barely know that he was even from the country like he's like this city mm. slicker type of character well, i mean he was compared to Howlin' wolf at least yeah i mean he's considered the godfather of chicago blues chicago you know he had to he had to change it up you know like going back to one of the first scenes where he's busking on the street corner yeah and like we don't want to hear that you know that mississippi that sharecropping music he had to he had to switch it up. He had to change it up. So, makes sense. He's always in suits now. He's got the hair, the pompadour, kind of slick back. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Did I miss something? Oh no. Okay. So the next thing I was uh. Okay, we thought Muddy learned about contracts, but apparently he did not, because he said, "Uh, what's what's with my royalties from?" Whatever song it was, it might have been Hoochie Coochie Man. He's mm-hmm. like, This is a royalties. Tongue the Cadillac. Yeah. He's like, Oh, oh. I need money for my mortgage. <laughs> Geneva wants a house. Yeah. <laughs> I think at that point he had a baby too from another woman. Yeah. Muddy been cheating. Because I, I, when he came in the house, Geneva's holding the babies like, Where did the baby come from? Like, who just drops off a baby It's like, here? Like, who does that, man? The 40s was wild. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, as we're recording, we had the World Baseball Classic Championship game, the U.S. versus Japan. Nice. And it looked like Japan won. And uh, Shohei Otani, I don't know if he struck out Mike Trout, but he got him out <laughs> to end the game. <laughs> that was good. Um, so, uh, yeah, where'd that baby come from? But we find out that Geneva mm-hmm. cannot uh, bear any more children. Mm-hmm. So they took the baby in. Yep. Um. Well, but I did think when at that point that uh, <laughs> when she said the baby's going to need milk, he's like, all right, I'll go get the milk. Like, is he coming back? back? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, Walter. So the next scene. What, what was Walter doing? Man, I. I wrote on here, everybody in here is Dirty Mackin in this movie. Man. Like so much. Everybody. So much. Yeah, that's that's I wonder if that was real too. <laughs> um and and it it kind of showed that like Geneva was was treated Walter like a son and Muddy treated him like a son and he, and he clearly that. resisted that. Yeah, he all, all the way. Yeah. Um because, yeah, this time, I think he's in his early 20s, and they're in their early 40s, yeah. maybe. Much older. Yeah. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that was an awkward scene, and uh, Muddy throws him out. Um, and then in the next scene, when Helen Wolf is recording, uh, Muddy has a woman with him. Dirty goes man. to get her coat out of the out of the booth, which was weird. How people just came and went. Like, is that not getting? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, Howlin' Wolf asks her to stay, and he starts singing to her, and she's clearly into it. And then Muddy, for revenge, steals his steals Howlin' Wolf's guitar player. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, they had a, a back and forth and like you said, this could have been like a mini series where things could have been more developed. Yeah. Uh, because even though, yeah, they are different, they, they were portrayed as like rivals. Um, and it showed that Muddy was threatened in a way by Howlin' Wolf. Yeah. Uh, but. Howlin' Wolf is just being himself. Yeah. He's just He just came in to do what he was yeah. hired to do. So um, that could have been explored a, a little bit more. But over a series, I think that could have been more. Like the, like you said, this was a fast-paced movie, more yeah. fast-paced than I realized. Um, so we meet Chuck Berry. Most deaf is Chuck Berry. Um, while he was probably the most – Famous of the artists that were on this label. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of screen time. Nope. I wonder, so that makes me wonder if maybe this movie had a longer cut and the studio cut it down. Maybe they didn't like some of most Def's acting. I thought he was actually fairly entertaining. Like, he's not the best actor, but he was entertaining. Like, I never felt bored while he was there. Like, yeah. that, that scene 
where he comes in and they're like, you're not chugging. I'd seen that on TikTok. It plays well on TikTok. It's a very nice scene. Um, so I don't know why, you know, he wasn't there more. It felt like they just, he was almost like an afterthought. You would have thought that Muddy Waters was bigger than Chuck Berry yeah. if you didn't know. And that is absolutely not the case at all. Like You could argue that, you know, he was an early, like one of the early rock stars. Yeah. Like legit big, you know. Elvis level rock stars, you know, so I, I thought that was kind of a disservice. Um, uh, Dan wrote, uh, "Alcohol made Walter take the doors off the caddy." What the hell was that? Like that was insane. <laughs> uh, that really happened. Oh God! Uh, I don't know if it was the in the uh, it was similar context. It might not have been the exact story, but mm-hmm. he did show up to the studio having taken the doors off the Cadillac. Did he get beat by the police too? Like that, that might they might have combined some stories. Okay. That really that made me think of, of course, the Jerry Heller NWA scene where they're getting accosted by the police, and Jerry Heller runs out like they work here. You can't do that to them. He's getting beat the hell up by the police. Leonard Chess runs out there. He works here. And then what does he do? He just throws money at the problem <laughs> like he does with every problem. He just like, we're, we're going to keep beating him. Fine, here's some dollars. <laughs> just, like, stop. Will you stop beating him if I pay you? Like, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So um, that, apparently that, that yeah, that actually did happen. Um, That's wild. See what else I had here. Uh, okay, so club scene next. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So the creepy black man. Once again. <laughs> one more time. <laughs> He's like the, the like the angel of death. <laughs> like just bad things, bad feelings follow him wherever he goes, and in this case, it's you know he was Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Like, do we even know why he was shooting up the place? <laughs> no. Hey, he lost two daughters, and he's still grieving. I guess so. <laughs> I, I I didn't understand why he did it. I thought he was just, I'm mad. And, just <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> Alan Wolf comes back, gets his guitarist back, says, if you steal anything from me again, I'll kill you. He says, that's to, to Muddy. Yeah. Um, Walter ends up uh, leaving. Just leaving. Yeah, it's too much for him. Yeah, the alcohol had made Walter leave. That's yeah, my, that's what I wrote. He should have never drank. Should have um, never gave him alcohol. So Chuck Berry becoming a star. Um, Maybelline. Alan Freed. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Eric Bogosian as as Alan Freed. Um, and just ends in segregation on radio. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> like he goes in the booth, says a sentence, and they're just like, he just integrated radio. I was like, stop it. It's, it didn't happen. Like, <laughs> just said a sentence. And it's like, all right, guys, like it. Uh, <laughs> Chuck was a, he was a game changer. He but was. Eventually, uh, he was seen as a creep. Um, yeah. But that, that wasn't portrayed in this movie. So at the hour and one minute mark of this hour and 48 minute movie, <laughs> We meet Etta James. Too far into the movie, do you think? It would have made the movie even more fast-paced. Yeah. <laughs> then it would have been an hour 15 minutes. <laughs> if it was any earlier. I tell you, uh, this, could have, this could have easily been a three-hour movie. Yeah. 
easily. Um, so we meet Etta James, and uh, I feel like at this point, Leonard is in full white savior mode. For Etta? Yeah. Because he sees how troubled she is. and Like she, yeah. I don't know if that's a real story where, you know, she thinks Minnesota Fats is her father. Yeah, that seemed kind of random. Um, it says that even although her father has never been identified, James speculated that she was the daughter of pool player Rudolph Minnesota Fats Wanderon, whom she briefly met in 1987. Hmm. So... That meeting in the movie, it didn't happen like that. It was much, much later. A lot of artistic uh, liberty there. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it didn't exactly happen that way. Um, But for, yeah, Leonard trying to do stuff for her, um, it showed that he was in love with her. From the get, like, well, what is she doing? She walks in the room and she instantly lays on the bed. I'm like, does she think she's there to turn a trick? Or, like, it It just seemed weird. And then she gets up immediately. And I don't know. Like, I, I, I liked Beyonce in this movie much better than I did in Dreamgirls. And no, Dreamgirls came after. Yeah. But, like, she no, just. No, Dreamgirls was before. Dreamgirls was before? Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah, I like her in this much more. She seemed very sure of herself. Um. Yeah. yeah, Dreamgirls was before. Okay, how how far? How much? Two before? years before. Okay, so she. Okay, yeah, I thought she was much better. She was snappy. She seemed more confident. Maybe that's just the character of Anna James, but, um, but yeah, he just—it's like he wanted to save her, you know. And in uh, there were a couple of moments I can't remember the exact moment, but I wrote this note. This feels like glitter. Ooh. <laughs> with better sound, I guess. Yeah, I think it was like with her talking about um. Her father, like the the pool hall scene, mm-hmm. I, I felt like it was something like that. Um, the Beach Boys, be stealing. Yep, 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 yep. Um, I mean, it goes without saying. Back then, I think that kind of the theme here was you did have a lot of white artists who were either just outright covering the songs and not giving proper credit, or in this case, just stealing. The songs and just using them, you know, because you've got this new hotness in in blues and rock and roll. Um, and you've got, you know, back then, I imagine this was easier to do because you've got black artists who aren't getting played on mainstream stations. Although Chuck Berry was kind of was more was getting played on them more than your average black artist. So it's probably easier just to steal because what are they going to do? So let's let's uh, play this for everyone. So this is Surfing USA by the Beach Boys. So this is Sweet Little Sixteen. They're really rocking in Boston and Pittsburgh, PA. Deep in the heart of Texas and round the Frisco Bay. All over St. Louis and down in New Orleans. All the cats gonna dance with Sweet Little Sixteen. 
you had About a half a million A famed autograph Her wallet filled with pictures She gets them one by one Becomes so excited Watch her look at her run Very similar. He won the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it took a minute. Yeah. But yeah. It, more so <laughs> when you got to that second verse, you, re- you really hear it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Brian um, Wilson was smart enough to. <laughs> 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 it's not, it's not. <laughs> um, so, Alan Freed, this is the. Uh, Who we have say, an episode about. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the payola. Going back to the, the the payola era, this was still in the payola era, but Alan Freed was getting royalties off of Chuck Berry. Yeah, apparently he's another person who it's hard to determine if he's a villain or a hero because he puts this music on the air that no one else will play. Yeah, but he wants money for it, so it's <laughs> like, uh, so yeah, you know, and and Leonard lets him know that like he played you when no one else would, so you know that's the cost of doing business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when they're, I guess they're struggling financially, um, Chuck Berry's been arrested uh, right after he finds out in that, in the scene where after he finds out that uh, Alan Freed's getting some of his royalties, he's mm-hmm. arrested for um, transporting a minor. Transporting a minor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was sentenced to three years in prison for offenses under the Mann Act, which is uh, transporting, um, he had transported a 14-year-old girl across state lines for the purpose of having sexual intercourse. And he, uh, you could say he kind of dry snitches on Jerry Lee Lewis yeah. <laughs> as he's getting drug away. <laughs> but I think everybody knew at the time. Yeah, everyone everyone knew. knew at the time. Yeah. And no one said anything. <laughs> Said, stop my friend Jerry Lee Lewis. It's like, everybody going down with me. (laughs) Um, he spent uh, he spent a year in jail. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how long he spent, but he he was 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 sentenced. He was sentenced to three years, and he spent. He was released the next year. Um, but yeah, definitely it wasn't his prime. Um. But he, he had some more hits after that. Uh, he had the, you know, John Lennon got to perform with him. And we saw that video that oh, yeah. we discussed before. I was like, John and Paul are listening. Angus Young would follow. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that was, um, in, you know, in the history of, John, of the Beatles, Chuck Berry was a huge, huge influence on them. Yeah. So they were definitely watching it. Yeah, the video we're talking about, John's getting to play with his, his hero. And Yoko just had to... Just couldn't stand it, but yeah, that's a, another story. <laughs> um, so when they get back together and start playing, like I don't, I don't even know what song they were playing when Walter when they bring in Walter, and he can't use his amp. He can't use the amp. Um, I don't even know what song they were about to play. I don't either. Um, they aged him really hard. Yeah, like bad makeup. I don't know if maybe they didn't count on four K TVs or something, but but. And seeing a picture of him, like he was died at age thirty-seven, it was very close. Okay, take that yeah. back. Then. He lived hard. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. Um. Mm. So Etta 
Beyonce as Etta performs at last. And I felt like this song is in here. Why? I mean, I know it's her most famous song, because but it, it was just like shoehorned in there. <laughs> because like that's I the said, song Etta James is known there for. Had to be, there has to be a director's cut of this. Because some of these scenes just don't like when they're happening. It's just like they they felt, I don't want to say out of order, but they felt like there was meat missing. Yeah. So, and I know she's, a, she's mostly a TV movie director, but even still, like, it just felt like it was just so rushed. I, there was probably more of a, yeah, I agree, a, a director's cut or just a different cut where it was some other stories that yeah. she wanted to explore that were probably a little darker. I mean, we're looking at this at, you know, Adrian Brody's coming off an Oscar win and, um, you know, they, this is one of those movies that we're trying to make Beyonce a movie star now. Mm-hmm. This is after Dream Girl, so. Um, yeah, I feel like there was there was there was some this this was there's a different draft of this. Yeah, <laughs> like just stuff happened so fast and just so like we're already at that last. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, so Edda's on the smack that Heron. That was so when they said that she missed her call time again, and I I'm I don't know a lot about Etta James, but I figured it had to be drugs. You know, either I was like drugs or alcohol. She has a similar trajectory. Um Don't say Janice Joplin. No, to Billie Holiday. Okay. <laughs> but she recovered. Okay. If you will. Because yeah. I know some of those, some of them, Janis Joplin did not recover. Um, when did Billie Holiday die? How old was she? I think she was. She was. Because in the movie, she dies for, in the United States versus Billie Holiday. She dies yeah, in the in hospital. The hospital. Yeah. She was 44. Okay. So her and yeah. Janis Joplin were more akin, whereas. Uh, not Billie Holiday. Jeez. Anna James, you said, snapped out of it. And, yeah. Because she died in 2012, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, sorry. Uh, so with Leonard being in white savior mode, uh, he's going he to take save care of right. He was trying to save <laughs> Captain. Save him. Like he was it. Like don't get me wrong. Like definitely, the, I, there were there were definitely um, some white saviorness in this. He went a little bit further than than white savior. He went to Captain Sava. Yeah, he went to, like his friends were like, you know, Muddy's like, what you doing? It's not what it looks like, bruh. It is exactly, exactly what it looks it's like. It's exactly what it looks like. But he's like, I've been there, man. I know what this is. <laughs> exactly. Just admit it to yourself. Like you were just like going way too far, bruh. You are no longer her white daddy. You are just her daddy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that was just, it was crazy. And it, and it happened so fast. It felt like there was really no buildup. Like at first it was just like, yeah, I'm trying to save you because you are my meal ticket right now. You you are what I've got going. Let's make out. <laughs> <laughs> like this, all of a sudden, let's just make out. And he's on top of her. They open a door. They're like, uh, uh, they get off of each other. And it's like we saw enough to know, <laughs> you know. But I think that was just supposed to be a euphemism for they had sex. So yeah, yeah. they didn't want to portray that. I think mostly because. It would have changed how Beyonce was looked 
mm. how how people how her fans looked at her mm. or her demographic or whatever. I think that would have changed. Yeah, I can see. That. And maybe Jay Z <laughs> didn't approve or some shit. Yeah, because um, he definitely <laughs> did not look like he was into it with his wife. And like he just like when that phone was ringing, he was like, "I hope that's Etta. <laughs> I hope it's her. <laughs> like I just need a reason to go, and he got his reason. And uh, they didn't have to do it like that, <clears throat> where he's having sex with his wife, and, and the, the phone, phone rings. Or was it the the because it was there when she missed their call time and he wanted to check on her? It's your it's your wedding anniversary. Money had it taken care of. She's a, he had a nurse for a wife. He had this taken care of, but no, no. Leonard yeah, Leonard didn't to, have he, to show up. He had he had Leonard to did show not up. have to show up. In his mind, he technically had to show he didn't. Up. But in his mind, she needs me. <laughs> <laughs> I need you. Your child needs you. I'll just I'll I'll be back. I'll I'll I'm just going to get some milk. I'll be back. But for him to like. I mean, it it probably could have been explored more, or you know, there's probably like like I said, there's another there's another draft of this script. When he even thought about going to check on Etta on the day of your wedding anniversary, where you have dinner reservations or whatever you're going to do, you got plans. You're going to drop them to check on Etta. Yeah, it didn't make any sense. Well, I mean, it made perfect sense. Man was in love. With the wrong with the with another woman. Yeah. <laughs> um like that Ray Parker Jr. song. <laughs> um The biggest winner in all of this is Elvis. As we see him covering my babe. Yeah. Yeah. I think he also covered Hoochie Coochie Man at oh, some did he? point. I wouldn't be surprised. Clearly the man loved the blues, so um I would, and that's and something I've never. Which isn't that far from Chicago. Yeah, and is at that time, Memphis is like the hub for blues for blues music. You could even maybe say some country. I think more blues was coming out of there than anything, though. Um, I'd be curious to know what his thoughts were because I know he, in the movie, of course, they have him introduce Fats Domino as the king of rock and roll. I'd be curious to know what he thought of people like Helen Wolf, Muddy Waters. You know th- those artists. Um, that, that am I looking at that just to see? Yeah, because he probably like, he met them said, in person, like that's through the music BB King or something. Made him happy and yada. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, if he did, you know, maybe we can get the Cadillac Records Elvis Cinematic Universe and Austin Butler <laughs> can go meet them in the sequel to Elvis. <laughs> so, um, Walter. Uh, Gets beat up pretty bad. Uh, comes to Muddy's house. And in the movie, he comes to Muddy's house and dies. Yeah. Um, that's It came off very simple. I thought of the scene in the Temptations miniseries mm. where Melvin goes into the kitchen around the corner and, just and dies. dies. <laughs> that, it's not how it happened. <laughs> um, so he, But he did get into a fight uh, in a club. And, um, but he had gotten into so many fights. He had like an injury or something? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he was at his girlfriend's apartment and died in his sleep. Mm. Um, of a, the death certificate says a blood clot. Um, and, uh, the, 
um, evidence say that the external injuries were insignificant, that the police reported his death was due to unknown or natural causes. No external injuries are noted on his death certificate. Um, so, yeah. Um, it's really, it's murkier than what was shown in the film. Yeah. Uh, they say like, oh, he got beat up and then he went to Muddy's house and died. That's yeah, that's but, par for the course for this movie, though. As quickly as things were moving, you know. He was uh, 37. Wow, that's so young. So if Walter looked 57 on the screen, he really did look like that. That's insane. <laughs> they, he lived hard. They even said it like, you know how you know how Walter spent his money. They're yeah. Talking about trying to bury there was him. no money. There was no money. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so... Uh, Howlin' Wolf tried to pitch in. Like, I think overall, like, I don't know if it was if it was for real, but Howlin' Wolf was a good dude. Yeah, he seemed like a good, a good <laughs> he looked guy, like a good yeah. dude. He was just a little mean because I, I read a story about him um, running off <laughs> Jimi Hendrix because of how he was dressed. So yeah, there's that. But yeah, he 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 had principles. Yeah, he didn't want to owe, so he he didn't take the advance, didn't take the Cadillac, um, and. When Leonard, you know, offered to pay for Walter's funeral, he kind of he scoffs, and that's one of one of those moments. Where I'm like, I don't know if he's a villain or a good person. It's just like you know, you you know the guy don't have money, so you're gonna pay for his funeral, and it's just like, are you the reason he might be? I don't know. Like it's <laughs> it's, it's it's just one of those they made him ambiguous. So yeah, but no, Walter seemed like he just really just wanted to do the right thing. At all times. Um, overall, uh, maybe I, th- I think it was just things had to be cut out of the script. Just the interactions between Leonard and Etta. Like, this is the mm-hmm. worst flirting yeah. ever. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, she, she does one more song when he's about to sell. And uh, apparently after he sells the business... He drives away, just, doesn't even make it around the corner, and just has a heart attack. They just died, like. Um, and that was another one of those things that was done for the sake of story, because he died months later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the this movie is more of a fictional account. I think things were just kind of you know combined and smushed mm-hmm. together. Uh, Muddy did get a new life in England, a, a rebirth, yeah, so uh, because of the you know gets off the plane and there's they media. See him. Yeah, media wants to talk to him. He's been hyped up by one of the biggest bands at the time in the Rolling Stones, who you know he's like, how are we gonna pay for it? They're paying for it. How are we getting over there? They're paying for it. Um, I meant to look into it, but I I was curious since they used their likeness and they were. You know, featured. I won. I wondered if Mick Jagger had anything to do with either producing or funding this movie, similar to what he did with, with Get, Get On, on Up. Up. Uh, he is not listed as a producer. Okay. Um, this is actually a pretty small budget for something so ambitious. Interesting. Um, and I, I realized not until the end, but I realized that I, I kept forgetting about Willie Dixon in the movie. Yeah, until he talk, starts talking about how he got money. Like and stuff. he yeah. he got paid. Uh, oh yeah, he was he was writing these songs. Mm-hmm. 
and he had to sue to get to get paid and um yeah for back royalties yeah the suit with led zeppelin which i later found out was for black dog um and then i think the lawsuit that they eventually won against chess records muddy was dead by the time that was settled Mm -hmm. so that money went to his estate um but it just goes to show, like, you know, they the way they build up Leonard Chess in the movie to where you don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. You ultimately find out, like, at the very least, he was a neglectful person. He was not paying his artists the way they should have been paid. Yeah. Um, You can, you know, regardless of what you think of the Cadillacs, like, you know, you can't feed your family with a Cadillac, man. <laughs> like, I, I'm pretty sure they would have preferred money, but that was some clever way to get around that. And, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, that's the end of the of the film. Uh, all the artists featured: uh, Muddy Waters, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Etta James, Willie Dixon, Little Walter, Helen Wolf, Chuck Berry, Leonard Chess. They've all been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, so this was. It, it is a story where this is a. They were influential on music uh on rock and roll and in r and b in ways in country um they inspired a lot of bands uh who gave them credit and some who didn't <laughs> clearly um music that's been sampled <laughs> I thought at the end like you have q tip with doing his song at the end mm-hmm. um I thought man the one that would have been like clear uh that would have worked best was um it was a song that Nas did where he sampled I'm a man. Hmm. I don't think I'm familiar with that one. Um it was on I think it was on Stillmatic. Uh, was it called Bridging the Gap by Chance? Yes. Okay. What album is that? Uh, it says Cadillac Records, but I'm pretty sure that's it's not on the soundtrack. Street Disciple. Street. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um. Yeah. Al- Aludara. That's his. That's his dad. Um. So they. That was 2004. I. I it would. It. That would have worked for for yeah. me. I guess for that moment. You know because. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's Muddy Waters, his most famous. He's either Hoochie Coochie Man or I'm a Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I felt the Q-tip was out of place a little bit, but just because of that, I had heard that other song earlier. Yeah. Um. So um, this film only had a $12 million budget. Wow. Sounds like and I really believe that was because you had a black woman as a director and writer. Mm. I don't think she got the budget that she probably was, should have gotten mm-hmm. uh, for for this kind of project. Yeah. Um. It uh, it was nominated for some awards. Um. <laughs> uh. It it was nominated for a Golden Globe for. Once in a Lifetime, which is a song 
<clears throat> once in a lifetime, uh, sung by Beyonce. Um, that was also nominated for a Grammy for Best Song Written for a Motion Picture. Uh, the soundtrack was nominated for Best Compilation Soundtrack Album. Uh, Beyonce was also nominated for, she won for her performance of At Last. Um, I thought she was nominated for a Golden Globe for her performance, but she she was not. She was nominated for an Image Award, of course, uh, and Jeffrey Wright, <clears throat> and Cedric the Entertainer, and Columbus Short, and Most Deaf. We're all nominated for Image Awards. Columbus Short won uh, for his performance. Uh, Darnell Mart was nominated for writing the script for an Image Award. Uh, Beyonce was nominated for a Satellite Award for Best Supporting Actress. Um, with the uh, the song, and it, as we know that she's got several writers, one, two, three, four, five, six writers were nominated for that song once in a lifetime, including her. Um, <laughs> uh it's been it's it's gotten some good critical acclaim. Like yeah. it's been a, it was in a lot of top ten lists, uh, some in their top five. Um, Roger Ebert gave it three stars. Said it said that the film is a fascinating record of the evolution of a black musical style and the tangled motives of the white men who had an instinct for it. That is so apt. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, one critic, Elizabeth Weltzman, said writer-director Darnell Martin clearly respects the fact that the history of chess records is a worthy subject. Uh, most critics praised the film for its music but complained about its script. One critic said, uh, another critic said he praised Beyonce's vocal performance and wrote in his review that Beyonce's captivating voice in the film's other pluses can't outweigh the glaring omissions from the storyline for this critic. Yeah, the and music really did save it. Chess Records deserves and will hopefully someday get a better spin than the one delivered by Cadillac Records. And also has a 66% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a 65 out of 100 Metacritic score. Um, overall, like as we've said, like a lot of stuff missing or or pushed together. I don't. I really don't feel like this was her original script. Um, it was mm -hmm. a black woman who wrote and directed this film, and she probably didn't get all the things she was asking for. She had a twelve million dollar budget, and she's got an Academy Award winner, a Tony Award winner, uh, one of the biggest pop stars in the world, one of the most. Who's uh, the Tony Award winner? Jeffrey Wright. Okay, I didn't know you won a Tony, and Adrian Brody won the Oscar for the pianist. Pianist. Okay. Okay. Um. Uh, a wow. rising star in Columbus Short, uh, a respected rapper and actually an appreciated actor in Most Def. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so they, it's like she had the tools. There's some credibility on that. Case. And a lot, yeah, yeah but it, it just didn't come together. I don't think I. I, I don't know of any interviews with her about this, about the film, but mm -hmm. I, this could have been much better. And I think um, I kind of look at it as I don't think the, you know, the producer of the studio behind the film didn't believe in her as the director. Yeah. I wonder how she even got chosen then. 
She well, she wrote the script and probably like insisted on on directing, directing it. it. Yeah, and so they gave her this really small budget. Um, Everyone at Chess Records dressed at fifty seven Cadillac in nineteen fifty five. So that was funny. <laughs> um, it had not recouped the twelve million dollar budget, only making eight million dollars in the box office. Really, I thought I heard more of this movie when it came out. I guess not. Um, so yeah, it, uh, with the, the DVD sales helped it make back its budget. Oh, okay. But, um, it, it, there was, you know, a lot left on the table with all of the characters. This would work great as a mini series. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there would be even more appreciation for the, and then you kind of see more of the influence of what these artists had on future artists, even in the next decade. Yeah. In the sixties, we see the influence of the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. And, um, well, you we know, probably would include the Beatles. Cause I don't even think they were really mentioned. Were they? No, they were never mentioned. I mean, the only person we saw outside of that sphere was, the um an actual depiction of the Rolling Stones and then like just video footage of Elvis, oh, no, Elvis yeah singing blues standard so yeah I mean maybe you do get more because like I think they said Eric Clapton paid for um was it Howlin' Wolf's Howlin' Wolf's uh Tombstone yeah so like maybe you start to if you do that you start to see because it's funny because it'll probably be nothing but British artists <laughs> it would be <laughs> it'll be mostly British artists like. Just been like, oh, we love this stuff. We love this stuff. Like that's all it would be. Like, can I hold your guitar, Mister Waters? Like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! If they did that, though, I'd demand that we have a re- uh, a recreation of the scene with Yoko. <laughs> if they did that, um, but yeah, I, I feel like it, it'd be nothing but British artists. You may. I'm trying to think of American artists that really gave credit other than Elvis. I can't think of any. Um, I can't. I really can't. And it's not even. And I feel like that's only coming out over the last decade. You know, like because Elvis didn't. Name I think him. maybe like like the, you know that kind of revival in the eighties with like uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. Okay. Because a lot of what was coming out in like sixties and seventies was all folk. Yeah. Yeah. I, Hendrix is the only person I could think of, but yeah. Hendrix from Seattle, but spent a lot of time in the UK, so. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that would do it for our discussion on Cadillac Records. Um, you can. It was on Netflix for a while. Uh, I had to rent it off of Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. So that's the only. But you know, y'all might have your ways. <laughs> support the. I'm, I'm a big component. Support the artists. Um, not supporting the artists is what got Darnell Martin a small budget and. Probably not the ability to make many more movies like this afterwards. So yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, play my we'll play my earworm of the week here. Um, this is a a super group of sorts called the Dinner Party with Terrace Martin, Robert Glasper, Kamasi Washington, and Aunt Clemens. Well, Aunt Clemens is on this song. Uh, Martin Glasper and Washington are the Dinner Party, and they have a song called Insane, and it had the. Um, You've heard this over time, over the past 40 years since the original song came out, but the song uh, 
juicy or juicy fruit by, by Entume. Entume, yeah, Entume. Uh, the drum pattern has been used a lot yeah. sparsely over time, and it it was it came up here. Uh, okay. But I like I like this song so. Uh, Insane by The Dinner Party featuring Aunt Clemens, and we'll be right back. YHT Air Warmers playlist right now. All right. So that'll bring us to the end of this program, this episode. Um, what should we end the episode with? Hmm. The first song that Willie Dixon writes for him. Hoochie Coochie Man. All right. The soundtrack version. Yeah. Let's, All right. give, let's give Jeffrey his shine. <laughs> he starts the show and he will end the show. So I'm your Hoochie Coochie Man, sung by Jeffrey Wright off of the Cadillac Records soundtrack. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure it starts playing. And uh, we'll talk to you very, very soon. Peace. Peace. Gypsy woman told my mother Before I was born You got a boy child coming He gonna be a son of a gun He gonna make pretty women Jump and shout Then the world wanna know
Jojo too.